it, Malta is for some reason at the center of all of this stuff. And I, honestly, as I was going through all of this information, I couldn't figure out why. Hitler must have lost something like 128 planes to obtain this tiny little island, both for strategy and what would seem like some type of metaphysical madness that he had. So, you know, that's the funny thing with the idea of Atlantis, to me at least. Why argue about that? Why, why even like bring it up? It's like, talk about the stuff that's been found because that's mind blowing. It's yeah. just, it, Malta is just one of those places that if it, if it wasn't on my bucket list, it's on that now. If you control Malta, do you control the world? Why did Hitler and conquerors in history desperately want the tiny island? Ancestral history that goes back to the time of Odysseus may actually go back even farther. So you're not going to want to miss this. Today, you'll hear John Vivanco's remote viewing data on the massive civilization of Atlantis. You'll hear my investigative research on the Ottoman Empire's history, the tradition of the Maltese Falcon, the Knights of Malta, and my theories about Calypso. Have you ever thought about the water levels during the last ice age and what it means for modern archaeology's historical research? Well, you will soon. Join John and me, Rob Counts, for a metaphysical show that's out of this world. Are you listening to the Metaphysical Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else? Leave us a five-star rating and review. It really helps us when you do that reach tons of people when you do this and remember you've got to like follow and subscribe on youtube rumble ganjing world twitter and facebook john how you doing what's going on i think uh, i think there's a lot going on on malta we got um, some we got some stuff here we got some stuff yeah. uh i feel like usually like we'll kind of conduct a series on something and I'm like, it's not going to get crazier than this. And then, and then you stumble upon something like Malta and it does, it goes to that next level. Right. right. Yeah. And I don't think, well, you know, Malta is talked about, but it's sort of, there are other things that sort of like take precedence when people talk about um, ancient civilizations. It seems like to me, I don't know, I could be wrong, but I didn't, ever really expect Malta to, uh, to be this like extensive, expansive dense. and strange. Yeah. It's, dense. It's yeah. Dense with rich ancient civilization, temples and lore. I mean, yeah, um, you know, when you get into it and you start rolling this out, I think people's minds are going to be blown just based off of the denseness of what's been going on there. Well, and, and for those of you at home that don't know where Malta is, um, Malta is an island uh, basically off the shore of Italy. It's south of Sicily. And it kind of is between Europe and Africa. Okay. And it's very small. And to give you an idea of how small this place is, it is one-tenth of the size of the state of Rhode Island in the United States, which is the United States' smallest state, uh, if you're in Europe and, and you're not aware of that. This island, in a way, in a sense, has no business having... 20 plus temples and megalithic sites on it uh, in the middle of, of the Mediterranean. It has no business having that all. stuff, considering if you, you know, believe that the world has always looked the way it currently looks. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and as this sort of unraveled, I have to tell you, 
there this is an unraveling never-ending rabbit hole that basically takes you eventually to the lands of sicily and even sardinia which we're just don't have time to talk about all of that right now and so we're gonna probably have to do separate series on these areas that are way older than people are telling us um, and if you want to know how old it is in homer's odyssey malta seems to have also been referenced experts believe that the island of ogigia was referring to the island of gozo on Malta. Now, Malta is comprised of two islands, the, the larger one, and then Gozo, which is just north of Malta. And um, the Odyssey, you know, we'll get into this a little bit because we, this episode is all going to be about the historical richness of Malta and what sort of makes it special. Because even on a socio-political scale, Malta is a very strange place. I mean, we're talking about we're talking about it being referenced in the Odyssey. We're talking about St. Paul getting shipwrecked on Malta, the Ottomans siege of Malta, World War II, Napoleon. I mean, it, Malta is for some reason at the center of all of this stuff. And I honestly, as I was going through all of this information, I couldn't figure out why. I mean, I understand why strategically and stuff, but it's it's just this random island, right? So yeah. strange. Yeah, it's it's strange. I, you, you know, we have to think about a little bit about what the potential water levels were a very long time ago. Um, and I know it's going to come up later, but it's like, you know, this type of stuff can't grow there. Uh, in the state that it's currently in, it never could have. There had to have been another way that that subjects beings were getting to this location than just it being an island. And when John so, says grow, he's not talking about you know plants and things. He's talking about the buildings and the craftsmanship and the exactly. amount of money that was poured into this place. Um, also, the fact that Hitler seems to have been obsessed with malta which is a big red flag right there uh which we will get into later in this episode we've got some bangers and at the end of this episode for you guys let's get into odysseus because there's a lot of people that don't think homer's odyssey was real and after doing all of the research that i just did i would disagree with that stance i think there's too much evidence that has come out of researching the Odyssey that proves to us that the places and the time period that Homer was talking about in the Odyssey were legit, almost as if he was retelling stories of old in a way that Plato discussed Atlantis or in the way that J.R.R. Tolkien has discussed uh, Middle Earth and what he was reading reportedly or allegedly in the Oxford libraries in disclosing Norse mythologies. The Odyssey basically follows Odysseus, who is the king of Ithaca, on his journey home after the Trojan War uh, and what he left back home, um, which is his wife and his son and his whole kingdom. And they all thought he was dead because it took him so long to get home. Odysseus was the man that came up with the Trojan horse. 
he was renowned for being a uh, extremely intelligent war strategist. And when they couldn't break into Troy, which they believe they've found in modern day Turkey, he came up with the idea of breaking through their walls in a way that uh, used his wits rather than force, rather than blunt force. And so the Trojan horse got him and his men inside and he won the war for Greece. And after winning the war, he just has to travel home back to his his wife and his son. And this takes, I think, a total of seven years to get home. Just and it's just not even that hard of a of a of a route to get home. But he just has this amazing adventure along the way. And he gets, I mean, all kinds of things happen. He gets um multiple times stops off at some islands on the way one of the islands that he he stops at um you know kind of to refuel it, it you know get food whatever it is is an uninhabited island where he and his men get taken prisoner by a cyclops a giant cyclops who is in the books referred to as the son of the god Poseidon. Yeah, the Cyclops. I, I, every time I think about that and that story and that Cyclops, I always think of Sinbad. Remember Sinbad, the, the the movie where they have the claymation Cyclops that he's fighting? Yes. That is like the most classic scene. like fighting this claymation cyclops some of the best claymation i'd like i mean yeah. you know <laughs> there it is so awesome yeah it's like i feel like so many characters were based off of this claymation cyclops i they just poked it in the eye and he was done it's really yeah. all you gotta do yeah and um that is in fact what odysseus eventually did but it took a really long time for him to get to that place where he could stab him in the eye and then right. You know, as he's leaving the island with his men, he very foolishly, you know, tries to pee on his territory by revealing who he is. And he's like, I'm Odysseus, son of whoever, you know, you got screwed over by me. Ha ha. And then the Cyclops like, Daddy, to Poseidon, this guy hurt me. And then Poseidon basically curses Odysseus and it takes him forever to get home. I mean, he's just right. having hardship after hardship after hardship, even up until he gets home. When, you know, his his wife has been holding off all of these suitors that wants to marry her. And then he basically just slays them all. He tricks them, slays them all, uses his wits. And this is the whole story of Odysseus. Now, one of his stops on his travels is he gets taken prisoner for many years by the Titan, I guess you could say, or the daughter of a Titan named Calypso who is the goddess of the sea. Uh, Calypso is just enamored with Odysseus for whatever reason. And she takes him captive. And this entire scene, I guess you could say, in Odysseus takes place in a cave. Right? And what's weird is like every story I'm finding about Malta are always existing in caves underground. Right? Because then many years later, you've got St. Paul after the death of, of Jesus, St. Paul is 
held captive. He's being taken around by the Romans. They get shipwrecked on Malta. And St. Paul being who he is, according to the story goes, he, uh, you know, lives a very kind of like humble life. He just uh, lived in caves there. So caves are being referenced in the Odyssey. Caves are being referenced in St. Paul's shipwreck on Malta, right? There's a lot of history here, all all having to do with these strange tunnels, which we know are are, are being talked about today. The entire underground of Malta is just a tunnel system. Yep, that's what it is. It's it's just like just holes throughout the whole island. Um, I think that probably most people, even people on the island, don't even understand the extent of the tunnels under that island. Yeah, and or what was built on top of them. Right, right. Which, I mean, that's actually, I mean, that's absolutely fascinating what's been built on top of them and then claimed to be just 15th century constructions. Really interesting stuff there. And the 15th century constructions that John is referring to all have to do with the Knights of Malta. And if you want to know a little right. bit more about that, hang on to your hats because we'll be getting yeah, into it. Yeah, we're going to get into this stuff. It's yeah. just, it, Malta is just one of those places that if it if it wasn't on my bucket list, it's on that now. Right, exactly. Yeah. We're going there. A hundred percent. Okay, so I have this, like, as I was doing all of this research, I have this weird theory that I want to share with you and I want to get your feedback on this. Okay. All right. So I started, I started wondering whether or not this character Calypso was real because so far, every time they've researched the Odyssey, the account that Homer gives has all basically come to pass as being real in different ways. Now, right. some of it may have been flowery writing so that he could stitch it all together. We're not sure how much of it was Homer being Homer and how much of it was like real historical um, uh, things that had happened. Uh, but it looks like the more that this gets researched, the more that it was actually a part of history. Yeah, I think, I mean, honestly, like I think that that what what he did was he, he took these various basic events, the big events, the various basic large events, and then he put it, he rearranged things added a little bit here and there, then constructed it into a historical narrative. And I don't think it's exactly 100%, but I think that for the most part, it's true. I agree. I agree with that. Um, okay, so there are, is a group of islands off the coast of Greece called the Ionian Islands. And what's strange is Ithaca, the place that Homer mentions, is supposed to be this um, made-up place that's not real. However, there is an island a part of the Ionian Islands called Ithaki, which is very similar to Ithaca. So right. is it possible that Odysseus was king of the Ionian Islands? Oh, and yeah, I'm sure, right? Right. It's like Dwarka in India, where Dwarka was the capital. It Right now, it's a huge pilgrimage site, and Dwarka exists on land on the coast. But Dwarka in the past existed, well, what we would call further out to sea right now, um, when Krishna ruled it around the time of the Mahabharata War, which is, you know, mm -hmm. what is it, what, 13, 14,000 years ago, something like that. And, and 
they actually have found that underwater. Now, like this other location where Dwarka was supposed to originally be. So, yeah, I absolutely believe that what you're saying is true. Absolutely. These are, these are historical locations that are written off as mythological locations when they're not. So, uh, so yeah, was Calypso real? So Calypso was the goddess of the sea and the daughter of the Titan Atlas. We know that the Greek culture flourished from approximately 1200 BC to 323 BC, right? Plato was one of the most credible guys in all of history, and he made a point to produce large amounts of writings about the history of Atlantis. We all know that, right? Okay, all of these stories from Greek culture revolve around champions performing labors like Hercules, oftentimes fighting off bizarre things or beings like the Minotaur or the three-headed monster like Cerberus. What if these creatures were leftovers from the Atlantis period and these labors <laughs> were to wipe them off the face of the earth, further clearing out that period of history. All right, they now, are, man. Yes. <laughs> they now, are. They were called gods or titans or sons and daughters of, but this could have been like fully charged, genetically superior or altered beings of an age long past. They were right? like super soldiers from an ancient civilization. <laughs> Something like that, right? Yeah. And what's also strange is that Gozo, as I was saying, where Odysseus was said to be held captive is a part of Malta, and Malta has uh, more of the most mysterious megalithic temples in a small area than any other place on Earth, arguably. And so the question is, like, was Malta a part of Atlantis, or was Atlantis limited to a fabled continent in the middle of the Atlantic that Plato recorded had been raised to the ocean by earthquakes. I don't know. What do you guys at home think? That's just a question I'm posing, you know? Yeah, that's, it's a good question. Actually, my, 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 um, well, I guess it's based off remote viewing. Um, the civilization way back then was pretty extensive. You could just use Atlantis from a remote viewing perspective as, as being the mass of civilization across the planet at that time. <clears throat> because you also had stuff in India, you have stuff in Japan, you have stuff in the Mediterranean, you have stuff in the Atlantic, you have stuff on, you have stuff everywhere, everywhere, yeah. everywhere. Yeah. So, and the thing is, is that nobody's going to actually find Atlantis unless there's like a big marquee when they go scuba diving that says, welcome to Atlantis. It's just not going to happen. You're not going to really right. be able to say this is Atlantis. And that's funny too, because actually when you get into the whole social engineering of thought around things by, by culture, the argument always lies with Atlantis, Yeah. right? Why? Why does it lie with Atlantis? Plato wasn't telling the truth. He was using it as an allegory, right? No, look at all of the structures underwater. <laughs> so that, that this whole Atlantis thing is to push down the actual evidence that comes to the surface of all these other structures that are underwater. I mean, come on. Because what you're looking at, these structures would have had to have been washed over 12,000-ish years ago when the ocean levels were at least 400 feet lower. So what does that make it? It doesn't make it, you know, 
cavemen, Neolithic men, whatever, um, building these sites, it doesn't make, it doesn't make it that it's something else, something deeper, longer, bigger. Yeah. So because of the way the stones have been cut. So, you know, that's the funny thing with the idea of Atlantis to me, at least why argue about that? Why, why even like bring it up? It's like, talk about the stuff that's been found because that's mind blowing. Yeah. And, uh, I, it, it keeps coming back to this for me, which is we'll get, we're going to have to keep repeating this in every episode just because it just doesn't make sense. But how, how are our brightest out there in the academic field saying to us with a straight face that modern man could move 50 ton rocks and place them with exact precision the way that they have at all of these sites on Malta as one example, just one example of this. And they're limiting they're limiting this to people in this thing that they called that they coined called the Stone Age, which makes humans just like they were dumb at that time. Right. And the Stone Age, right. It's like, oh, they, these these like little caveman creatures who they're telling us didn't grow much past four, eight, four, nine, five feet something. You know, they were able to move 50 ton megalithic rocks before the creation of the wheel. Before the creation of the wheel, <laughs> I which, think yeah, <laughs> which wouldn't even like our have there are videos going around on social media showing our best like dump trucks and trucks that move gigantic rocks not being able to move these types of rocks anywhere. Like they right. just it, basically it's too heavy for them. They can't do it. Oh yeah, There's exactly. No... I mean, like architects and engineers have studied the pyramids, Giza, for instance, and they straight out say, I don't, th I think we'd have a very, very difficult time based on the precision and alignment of these structures of, of building this type of thing today. We just couldn't do it in the way that There's they did no way. it. Yeah. There's no way. I mean, you're talking about engineers and architects who don't have a, a, a ball in the game of social engineering. Yeah, it can be so easily questioned and made mysterious by an investigative journalism journalist like Graham Hancock or others that have come along that have done the same thing. We're, we're social animals and and shame arises in us when we're ostracized or we go against whatever social situation we're in and people strive to avoid shame. So if you're in a system that is literally just putting out nonsense and everybody's following the nonsense and you're getting something out of it, like money to put food in your mouth, then you're just not going to go against it. You just aren't going to research outside of it. And then you go back to uh, John Wesley Powell and the Powell doctrine of the Smithsonian in the 1800, late 1800s, where it was no, what was it? No, made the decree that no cultures or or remnants of a culture should be studied beyond when Columbus, Columbus discovered America. Basically, that's what it says. So it was like cutting off that vein of um, research and findings and then corralling people over the century to stay in one area. Don't step outside of it. And that's where we are today. Yeah, it's, it's weird. It's not even that hard to find this history. It's not. So St. Paul gets shipwrecked here. Which he is gets... weird. I mean, it, to me, it was like weird that St. Paul comes up. 
St. Paul. Yeah. It's like, but, but what's, what's so strange is this thread of Malta throughout our civilization just keeps coming up over and over again at every, at every turn, you know, the Odyssey, St. Paul, then there's the Ottoman siege of Malta. And which is a very, very interesting conversation. I mean, now the, the main cap, I guess the capital city of Malta is called Valletta and it's named after Valette, who was the the grand master uh, of the Knights of Malta at the time, who was charged with defending Malta and all of Europe from the uh, unbeatable Ottoman Empire. And somehow uh, a small group, relatively small group of knights and the men of Malta hold off the Ottoman Empire from entering into Europe and destroying Christendom. Yeah. That's, that's, that's strange. We're not talking about, we're talking about the Knights of Malta here. And we're not talking about the, the little guys in cars with the little funny hats on with the fez. No, no, no. (laughs) That, and that the Knights of Malta had basically, I guess you could say single-handedly saved Europe. And it, it just gave this, it, this, energy to everyone over in Europe to be able to fight off the remaining Ottoman um, empire to the point where, you know, it, it no longer, it basically just depleted them completely. Right. Um, Leading up to the siege, the siege happened May 18th, 1565 to September 11th, 1565. Now Valette had spies uh, all over um, Northern Africa, where the Ottomans had already taken over Tripoli. He had his guys over there and they're delivering him information where the Ottoman empire is talking openly about how important it is to take Malta as a, as a place of strategy so that it can enter Europe, the forts there, everything that's there, right? Before all of this happens, Valette and everyone there build these forts up, fortify them. They take, they go through the entire, all of Malta, the entire island. They harvest all the crops. There's no food anywhere that they can eat. Then they, they, they throw dead animals in all of the wells that they could come across. And then they just fortify the forts, St. Elmo, St. Angelo, right? These were like their two biggest and baddest of the time. And then when the Ottomans enter, or they see the Ottoman ships basically on, on the horizon. These guys are ready, ready. I mean, they've just loaded ammunition, tons and tons of food in there. And it takes the Ottomans, the, the, the Knights lose maybe about 2000 people. The Ottomans lose like six to 8,000 people, right? Like in the first, you know, kind of battles. And, um, the Ottomans lose, so many of their important strategists and um, and captains and things like that. They even lost their main general um, who got basically hit by friendly fire, it's reported. And so it was left with a couple of their generals, a guy named Mustafa and then another guy who were, were not really on the same page with one another about things. But they started getting really pissed because they're losing all of these men and 
there's no like it's like why is this tiny island so hard to so hard to to take so right. mustafa orders the captive knights that he has the nine captive knights to be beheaded and this now this is after they finally took over saint elmo which was the first this first fort this like biggest fort that they had which was a huge blow to the knights to be honest but they're at saint elmo now and he he has nine of these knights captive he decapitates the knights he ties their bodies up to uh crucifixes and he he just floats them over the bay to the other fort where the knights are and valette sees this it infuriates him so he orders a complete execution of all of the ottoman prisoners that he has and he cuts their heads off he loads them into cannons and he fires them across the bay that's elmo oh oh man that's yeah Good. that's that's wow Oh, it was a different time, man. Yeah. I mean, it's like this guy, Mustafa, and this guy, uh, Valette, were sort of like these arch enemies in this entire thing. Right, right, right. I mean, that, wow, that island is just incredibly highly defensible. Yeah. Highly defensible island or something. Like what else could be going on there other than it being like highly defensible from the perspective of the walls that are built up on the edges or something, right? Yes. And for you guys that want to see a little bit of that in our next episode, we're going to be talking about these structures a little bit more. Um, but yeah, so so Valette, he's he's like 70-year-old dude, right? Something like right. that at this point in his life. He, he's, this is like, is infuriating him so much that he himself is getting out on the battlefield and wiping out Ottomans in his seventies. Like these guys were hardcore. like guys that had lost, like the function of their legs are standing guard with a spear in places and just waiting for an Ottoman to come to kill him. Right. Right. Like they're just like, whatever, like life's life's over. Let's just defend the fort. Right. And, uh, and it works basically in September, the Ottomans had been so overrun by sickness, by just the utter defeat of not being able to really make that many moves on Malta. Their morale just was becoming really, really low. And, and then finally, all of these fresh men come over from like Sicily that's been ordered, you know, from the Holy Roman Empire. They have like a few thousand troops now there that are fresh and they just these guys are already retreating. They just go and wipe the rest of the retreating guys out. And, you know, the Ottomans basically like ran home with their tail between their legs. What were they going to do? Right. Right. Yeah. That's yeah. I mean, wow. I don't even know what to say about that. That's an incredible story. Yeah. 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 It's, um, you know, Malta, this was not the first time Malta had to be defended or, or it got totally, uh, wasted. I mean, who knows what these megalithic sites would look like if Malta hadn't been so attacked for so many years, all of this time. Right. And did you know, okay. So 
Napoleon wants to take over Malta. Napoleon's taken over everything, the, the Napoleon Empire, <laughs> taken over everything. He wants to take over Malta. He has like the best and the brightest ships anywhere. Everybody is like totally in awe of the ships this guy has. He gets his ass handed to him by by the by the right. Brits. Right. right. Right off of the coast of Malta. Right. Right. Fast forward to World War Two. For some reason, Hitler is obsessed with Malta. Now, if you talk to historians, they're like, well, you know, at the time in the war, Hitler is starting to partner with the Italians, you know, who have their own kind of agenda in all of this, this fascist agenda. They're kind of starting to partner with one another. Hitler is trying to strengthen his own troops, but it all comes down to Malta. Malta ends up being the most bombed place in all of World War II. Yeah, can you imagine? I mean, this is a place the size of Rhode Island. And it's the but, most bombed place. Dude, one-tenth the size of <laughs> one Rhode Island. One-tenth of the size, sorry. Yeah. Unbelievable. So, you, you know, you got to, like, wonder what's going on on Malta. I mean, you know, there are... Okay, so I understand, you know, why Hitler wanted this from the perspective of stri- strategy. Like, everybody wants this. Everybody island. wants this. Yeah. You can't, you can't go take over lands without taking this island. Because if you have that island, you basically control the Mediterranean. That's it. But, you know, I do know that as the British were really trying to get supply ships to Malta because Malta doesn't actually, you can't subsist living on Malta with that type of a population and that type of infrastructure. So they had to bring supply ships and, you know, most of the supply ships, they just wouldn't make it because the Nazis were just going crazy on the supply ships. And that's pretty much all they can do. So, yeah, Malta's, Malta was needed by Hitler, but yeah. it's not just because of that. Okay. Well, I'm sure we'll be getting into that soon. Yeah. <laughs> a, l- a little bit more of a fun fact about uh, World War II is in a very short period, Malta ended up being the downfall. Eh, you could argue this. Kind of the downfall of like the, the Nazis because when they started really digging in their heels on getting Malta, he mu- Hitler must have lost something like 128 planes in a very, very short period of time. Like he's sacrificing all of these planes to obtain this tiny little island, both for strategy and what would seem like some type of metaphysical madness that he had. Not our type of metaphysical, but you know, his type of madness. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> So it's it's real strange. And, um, you know, before we get into what Hitler was like, really what he what he wanted there so badly, um, it wouldn't be right if we didn't talk a little bit, just a little bit about the Knights of Malta, which is also its own huge story that we could probably do like a three part series on. I mean, we're talking about some of the like most conspiratorial stuff going on with a few of the grand masters of the Knights of Malta that had taken over. First of all, they get they get thrown out of their island years earlier by the Ottomans. Uh, it was the island of Rhodes. They find refuge on Malta. Charles V of Spain, one of the Habsburgs, gives them Malta with the condition that they just need to give him a one Maltese falcon a year as a token of their appreciation. You know, you can look into Maltese falcons if you like. 
Now you kind of go back in time. Um, Charles V was a part of this thing called the Order of the Golden Fleece, which had been created by a guy named Philip the Good, which was, you know, about 100 years before him, probably, um, give or take a few. The Order of the Golden Fleece, like all of these orders, they're all deeply entrenched in this like very early Christian lore, this, this search for the Holy Grail, this immortality, which drove the Knights of Malta. One of the, one of the main um, sort of slogans of the Knights of Malta is they reject death. And their grandmaster Pinto, who took charge for a period of time, was obsessed with alchemy. Uh, he brought in Count Cogliostro over there for a while. They were trying to find, you know, the 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 philosopher's stone. They were trying to create it. This is very very deep stuff. All of this happening on the island of Malta, you guys. I, I'm keeping my mouth shut because I I, I literally can't talk without going into the craziest stuff at this point. Well, then why don't you just go into the crazy stuff, John? Let's hear it. I got to hear it now. Well, okay. So so there's a lot of things going on on Malta, and I'm just going to start to peel back one layer with regard to Hitler. Regard, and with regard to these uh, older uh, royals, I guess you can call them that. I wouldn't call them that, but... A lot of people do like the Habsburgs um, and, you know, right. the, the inbred Kings of our time. Well, you know, what's interesting, actually, the, the inbred Kings, um, I, if you look at comparative mythology and you look at a lot of, uh, these old stories coming from Japan, the Nordics, um, uh, to Hinduism, to Egypt, etc., all across the planet, comparative mythology typically shows, uh, brother and a sister who are gods right and in, in in a lot of the a lot of the stories at some point in time there are a brother and sister who come together and they are an aspect of each other and they have a child right so right. the gods right but this is on a, more of a spiritual type level spiritual physical where they don't have this inbred thing take place but the the royalties of old believe that they are part of that and that here on earth you would have, you know, a child with your sister because that's what the gods were doing in a sense. But it's more on the spiritual realm, right? That's so freaky. Yeah, it is. It is freaky. So it's a, it's a, it's like a misinterpretation. It's a shadow world. It's a it's a big shadow world of what they are trying to enact on this planet that doesn't actually work. So you guys at home, if you're watching this, hold up a picture of the Habsburgs, who had ruled Europe for a really long time. I can't remember the exact time period here, but they were very obsessed with their bloodline and not mixing their bloodline with lesser bloodlines, I guess you could say. And they ended up um, acquiring really grotesque features that only occur when you have inbreeding involved. Um, this was Charles V, the man that gave the island of Malta to the, the Knights of Malta. His jaw was, this was no lie here. Like, this isn't a, 
a bad painter. We're talking about, you know, this thing that they had called the Habsburg jaw, which came from too much inbreeding. Essentially, some of them were were drooling messes. They couldn't even rule a kingdom. It got so bad. Well, you know, when we get to Malta um, and what Hitler was obsessed with in Malta, obviously, you know, you have that you have the the ancient history of it that it is completely impenetrable from a certain perspective. And so he needed that, obviously, because he needed to control that area of the sea in order to take over North Africa, which he couldn't do, right? So there is something else, though. So earlier he had Himmler. Himmler was very obsessed. One of his, uh, what was Himmler? He was SS, right? He was the head of the SS, I think. Head of the SS, right. So he was very obsessed with, um, with the Holy Grail. And looking for the Holy Grail and following, literally following the trail of the Templars. Okay. So the Knights Templar, um, there was a huge thing going on in France. One of the big things that was going on in France with Himmler is the search for the Holy Grail and trying to understand what that meant, whether that was related to what the actual bloodline of Christ or some physical object. Because a big portion of the SS on the theoretical research side was to try to connect the Aryan race to the main seat of power on this planet, right? To the Christ, to all of that stuff, right? right? Because they wanted to rule this planet. And so Malta falls into the whole Holy Grail situation, as well as other relics that the Templars, we know they were there, a thousand years ago who are, well, they say that the Templars built a lot of the tunnels, but I don't believe that. But the Templars used that island, that location, because you got to think about this, like that island has repelled so many massive battles, navies that- You're talking about Malta right now, to be clear. Yeah, talking about Malta right now, right? So Malta as an island and who's in control of it has a huge foothold so much so that nobody's going to be able to get on that island, right? Nobody's, for the most part, nobody's going to be able to get on that island if you play it right. And so you can hide whatever you want in there. So the Templars were hiding stuff there. Okay, check this out. Because I have information that lines up exactly with what you're saying. After the Knights Templar were basically wiped out, I think that was 1280 something, yeah. some, some date like this. They were kind of wandering for a while, and it is alleged that they merged with the Knights of Malta at some point, and those funds basically merged right into the Knights of Malta, and they were using the tunnels underneath Malta to hide all of this good stuff. To me, like from a remote viewing perspective, it's the same group. There's there's no difference to me at all between the Knights Malta, the Knights Templar. No difference. Same group. And, and this is what Hitler was after. I mean, that's another aspect of it. Like that, because, because these Warrens are throughout the whole island, even places that people don't know about now, right? I mean, more so, like they, they, they don't know what's down there. And so relics that the Templars, the Mal- Knights of Malta hid as well, are probably still there if the British haven't found them. Multiple articles 
including the National Geographic article that that published in 1940, talk about the fact that the entire tunnel system underneath Malta connected everything on the island and that the British shut that down at some point. Right. They started burying it. Yeah. They probably found what they wanted to find. Or... Or trying to keep something out, or perhaps, were, or perhaps, perhaps they were trying to keep something in the in, tunnel. Sorry, yeah. <laughs> Which is probably a perfect place for us to cut this episode off at. I'm actually quite shocked. This is our first episode in many episodes that we're about to have on the island history, temples, megalithic sites of Malta. We've just scratched the surface, and this was already an extremely intense conversation about what's happening over there. Um, now, just so that you guys know, the story of Hitler does not end here. Um, Hitler was also obsessed with with Mount Vesuvius. It was reported in um, articles that were peer-reviewed that the Americans were bombing Vesuvius to, to get to basically bomb the Nazis out of Vesuvius. And you and I have talked about this in previous episodes that the tunnels of Baie that were underneath Vesuvius is reportedly where the old river Styx was. Hitler was also obsessed with this area. And they're all a tunnel system. This is very strange that there's so, it's making me think that when the old in the old days, they talked about Hades being the god of the underworld. They were not talking about hell. They might have actually been talking about the inner earth in the way that, in the way that Poseidon was the, was the god of the sea and the ocean. Who knows what's going on under there? Maybe there's something to this. What do you think? There is. There is something to this. And I don't know if we want to get into it now or later, but there is something to this, which is another aspect of that island. We will get into this another time. For those of you at home watching, um, hope you enjoyed this episode. Please let us know what you think in the comments below. Uh, we love you guys. Thanks so much for watching. Uh, John, thank you for being with us. And we hope you guys thought this episode was as out of this world as we did. 